here's a character who has a horrible story and who ends horribly and everything goes wrong. Um, but their story was still beautiful and you still cared enough to read the whole thing to the end. Welcome to the Edibodies podcast. This episode is brought to you by that chilling sensation of something behind you. But when you look, there's nothing there. Today I'm talking to Logan Austin of Austin Fiction Editing. Logan specializes in horror, a genre I have mostly avoided for much of my life because I am a chicken. I can honestly say, after this conversation, I feel like I understand horror in an entirely new way. Enjoy. So my name is Logan Austin, and uh, I my my business is Austin Fiction Editing. Um, I do specialize in horror fiction. Um, that's kind of my you know where I, I have the the most experience. Um, I I also do a lot of copy editing. Actually, um, I, I would say I'm I'm pretty experienced there as well. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in literature uh, and creative writing. Um, and my, my business now is, is like almost like a year and a half old, um, which is really exciting. I've had a lot of really great clients, uh, a lot of really fun experiences. And, um, so I've just been having a really great time. Um, and let's see what else I, I love what I do. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) Now, when you, when you got your degree, were you expecting to become an editor or did, was that just a general like love for you? How did that come about? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Um, actually, no, I, I did edit like, well, editing, you know, in, in college, like mm-hmm. for um, friends and in classes, I took several editing classes. Um, but I, it, it wasn't my dream at the time. Um, I, I don't really know what I've <laughs> exactly on doing. It's just that I knew that um, literature and editing and writing, all these things were kind of my passion. And so I was kind of following that. Um, and and right after college, I actually got a job with a EFL school in Japan. And so I, I moved to Japan and was teaching um, English and English grammar really? for like a year. Yeah, it was really cool. That's so cool. It was, it was a good experience. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of fun. Um, but while I was there, I did kind of realize um, this isn't for me. <laughs> um, yeah, and and so I was thinking about you know what kind of what am I what are my other passions? What else would I like to explore? And um, I, you know, I just thought well, you know, I really enjoyed working on the my friends' manuscripts in college. I enjoyed uh, the editing classes that I took. I felt like I was good at it. Um, well, you know, what if I try that? And I started um, doing some research and taking some classes. And I took a um not internship but like apprenticeship yeah maybe like a so I I did a thing (laughs) like I guess maybe it was a class maybe a class is a better I I did a class slash apprenticing thing with um another editor called C Chapman who was really really cool um and that you know kind of helped me feel like I knew what I was doing and um, and then I, I took on some, um, some projects for free. I got a little bit of experience and, and then I, I started my business. Um, and this is all actually during COVID as well. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, I, I, I was nervous. I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to start this. What if it's like teaching and I don't like it. Um, 
And instead I just, I found like, I really had a great time and like, I really had a passion. And even when I didn't have any clients and I was just doing like, um, like educational stuff for myself, um, I really loved it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I kind of, it was great to, to find that I had this passion for it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause that's basically that like when I was like, Oh, maybe I'll try this editing thing. Like I really, I yeah. feel like it feels good. It feels right. But I just want to, and everything I did, I was like, wow, I like, this. <laughs> I, really, I yeah. actually really enjoy what I'm doing and everything I'm learning uh -huh. and everything I get to work on. Like it's very invigorating. Yeah. It's, it's a weird feeling, but it's really good. Mm -hmm. I feel exactly the same way. And I didn't anticipate to feel this way at all. So I, yeah. I, I totally, I know how you, how you feel. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. I've always, I feel like it's frustrating when you read a book um, and you think to yourself like, oh, I feel like I know what I could do to strengthen this, like this part. And in and, and editing, like you actually get to help the author strengthen it. Yes. That is so <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I would always frustrate my friends so much because we'd like go to the movies and they'd be like, what'd you think oh. of that movie? And I'd be like, yeah. well, it was good, but like, it didn't really make sense with this. And this was kind of a <laughs> plot hole. And I feel like yeah. it actually would have been better if this character had done this. And they would always yeah. be like, why can't you just enjoy the movie? That is so funny. That same thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to say the same thing. <laughs> so funny. I think we're in the right business. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's even fun to learn about grammar and like the style guides. And yes. um, I didn't think that I would like copy editing, but I love it. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's it feels to me like the math of the um, the like editing world. It is. It's <laughs> um, very technical. It's, it's very, very technical. technical. It's very logical. Mm -hmm. um, very rule based. But it's somehow still. I, you know, I still have this passion for it. I don't know. It's great. And when it's, <laughs> I think it's so fun with fiction editing that you have the rules, but then you get to play with them a little bit, or you can kind of make your own yeah. rules, or you can like help your author kind of create the rules for their world. I always think that's really fun. And then when you're copy editing, you get to apply those rules that you created in real time, you know? Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's really cool. I, I, one of the things actually that I've been talking about with one of my clients lately is the concept of like, um, knowing the uh, writing rules so that you can break them, you yes. know, um, that is such an interesting, like creative concept to me that um, in, in breaking some sort of established thing, you can make a statement about like it says something so cool to me. <laughs> yeah. I was just reading a book recently where they, the, they broke like a formatting rule and they mm -hmm. had like a series of very short, like one word sentences that were all in this kind of weird stepped format, but it was Ooh, very yeah. much for a purpose because it was tied in with this very violent action that was happening. So it was like your eye was being torn kind of across the page as this person's body that. was like being torn apart basically, Ooh. which was terrible, but it was wow. very effective and it was very cool. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, and I love seeing that kind of stuff. That is cool. Very E.E. E. Cummings. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That is so cool. You know, I do kind of want to ask you about that because I know like oh, copy sure. editing is its own thing, but developmental editing is like a whole different beast. And I know we talked yeah, about that yeah. a little bit, but so to mm -hmm. kind of tell me a little bit, what is it about developmental ed editing that really, that you love, that really energizes you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I would say 
um, like, like we talked about, like when you go to the movies and you think, oh, I wish I could have told the writer, like, try this and this and this, you know, or you read a book and you think, oh, if only they had done this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool to be a part of the process with the author and to be able to go back and forth with ideas with them and help them through different drafts. And it's really a lot of problem solving yeah. um, in, in a way that, um, you know, all editing is, is, is problem solving, but um, <laughs> it's, it's like a new level of it in a way that copy editing even isn't. Um, we get to lay out, you know, what are, what are the issues here? Uh, what's not being communicated? Um, and, and how can we communicate stronger and how can, um, one thing I really like is I, I think this was said a lot. I think I've heard it in a lot of different, um, so I'm not exactly sure who said it, but somebody has said that, um, in copy editing, you are the reader's advocate, um, to the writer. Um, and to be honest, I, I kind of feel like all editing is, is, you know, being, being the reader's advocate in a way, um, because you're, especially in developmental editing, you're one of the first people who's going to read this draft. Um, and you know, that the author wants to communicate something, um, whether literally or emotionally to the reader, they want, you know, Mm -hmm. to have that connection. And, um, we want to make sure that they're able to like say to the reader what they want to say. Yeah. And that the reader is able to understand it. And I think I, maybe that's a really roundabout way. Of, <laughs> I know exactly um, what you're saying. Them. Like, it's like yeah, the, yeah. the reader, ha- the, the writer has something they're trying to communicate and they want, and they want the reader to understand it in the way that they're intended. And the editor yeah. kind of has to be there saying, you know, as this other person, because, you know, it's very hard for an author or any person to really understand how what they're saying is being perceived. So the editor is almost yeah. there to say, this is how what you're saying is being perceived. Is that what you intend? Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's something that I think is really beautiful about literature is, is its capacity to like connect people emotionally, you know, like you're, you're putting something out in the world so that other people can communicate with you in, yeah. in a way. Um, and you want to make sure that you're communicating yourself well. And I, you know, this is something that even if you are the most perfect writer in the world, um, you know, you're, you're going to need a second pair of eyes um, because, you know, that's, that's where the communication begins um, is, is when you put something out and the other person gets to respond to it. Um, even if the reader is just responding like emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's really interesting and beautiful and artistic to um, be able to help authors hone their, you know, what they're trying to say. And it's something that I've experienced as well in my own writing and having, like, I, I am working personally on a, a manuscript right now. Um, oh. And I've had a couple beta readers. Yeah. I, I really enjoy writing as well. Um, but I'm a little bit private about it, but um, <laughs> I do a lot of writing. And, um, anyway, I, I finished this manuscript, like it was probably last summer actually. And I had, I sent it to my first beta reader or, uh, critique partner, I guess is the right word. Um, and she got back to me and was like, I don't know why this character did this. Um, at the the very end, like, I don't know why the ending was like that. And it just kind of it stunned me I remember being shocked because I was like what do you mean you don't get it like it was, it was <laughs> the <whole> thing. <laughs> and then we had this really really good discussion yeah. um, where she kind of told me where the writing techniques that I had been using didn't 
translate for her. Mm -hmm. Um, and in, in knowing that I knew like what to change and what to strengthen. It's just, it's just a, a great, you know, experience to be able to work on something with somebody. Yeah. One, one thing that I didn't realize how much of editing, it, like how, what a big part of editing this would be is um, that when you're an editor, um, the, the difference between like having your, your coochie partner read it or your friends uh, versus having like an editor is um, a critique partner isn't going to have an editorial vision mm-hmm. and they're not going to um, like necessarily have those teaching skills. Like yes. that's something that I find that I've had to learn a lot um, yeah. in my editing is I didn't realize how much of it would be not only that do you have to, you know, explain to the author, um, you know, where it can be strengthened and where the communication is, is kind of falling through, um, but you have to teach them how to bridge that gap and you have to bring in resources that will help them, um, you know, further research um, that element of writing or, or further understand, um, you know, what maybe they're not understanding before, um, which is really cool. And that's something that I'm, I'm definitely trying um, to get better at. Yeah, I think every, Sorry, every editor hopes and prays yeah. that when they are done with a client, that client will feel like they've been made a better writer. That's always the goal. Oh, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you say editorial vision, can you kind of describe a little bit more what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So I... For the, for example, when I read, the, you know, my novel from um, my critique partners um, in my own personal writing, when they send me their work, um, I I give them my thoughts and I tell them, you know, what I think would make it better. Um, but as an editor, I want to look at my client's novel and have a vision of what it will be, um, and you know. This is this is as well where I think finding um, the right editor is is important yes. um, because you know there's a lot of people who edit very very well but you have to find somebody who meshes with your like what you want your book to be. When I'm editing my clients' novels, I have a goal for what I want them to look like in the end and for what I want these books to be, um, and I try to communicate with my um, my clients as much as possible to make sure that we're on the same page, that what they want their book to be is also what I want it to be. Well, I think, I just think that mesh is really interesting with what you were saying earlier about being in that position of the, being the reader's advocate. Um, cause, mm. cause I, I've kind of talked about this before where it's almost like you're riding two horses. You have to be thinking about what the reader is going to experience, but you also have to be thinking about what the author is trying to achieve and be kind of keeping those things in sync so that there isn't conflict. Yeah. That is a really good metaphor. That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. I feel, I feel that way as well. Um, it's, a, there's a lot of meshing, um, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, like it's a lot about communication and it's really interesting mm-hmm. this is kind of a little bit of a a awkward transition but i just like i've been thinking about this a lot ever since i knew i was going to interview you and it just it makes me laugh mm-hmm. but i just have to ask sure you you are one of the most insanely positive people that i have ever met uh-huh. <laughs> like Thank you like seriously <laughs> like like you're just you're very your energy is so bright and so like I'm always like man like 
I don't know how they are so happy all the time, but I am here for it. (laughs) (laughs) But yet you are a horror editor. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) So how does that, how did you get into horror? What do you, what is, what, what does horror do for you? That's what I want to (laughs) know. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I can, I, I definitely see that contrast there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have been like a really passionate horror fan for as long as I can remember. Um, I like, I was reading um, Goosebumps. That's it. Mm-hmm. Oh, ever, ever since like, those, those are what I learned to read on um, yeah. because I oh yeah and I'm sure you know everybody everybody enjoyed those um <laughs> and that actually Arl Stein is, is what inspired me to become a writer I <laughs> um and and so I horror really got me started on my journey with with literature in the first place um and has always just really had a special place in my heart um and I I noticed as well that I I go back to horror over and over again mm-hmm. um it's it's the genre that I I read the most in and that I'm the most involved in. Um, and I, there's, there's a lot you can say. There's a lot you can say about horror that I feel like it is such a cathartic genre to read and write. Mm. Um, because in horror, you, you, you get to express, you know, what you're scared of and, um, here's something else that I find beautiful too, because a lot of horrors um, end really badly. Um, like, <laughs> you know, the main character dies or, you know, um, the, the monster eats everybody. And I, I even love those books because there's something really beautiful and cathartic to me about saying like, here's a character who has a horrible story and who ends horribly and everything goes wrong. Um, but their story was still beautiful and you still cared enough to read the whole thing to the end. Hmm. And that is so comforting to me that the idea that like you can be unlucky and really bad things can happen to you. Um, but like your story is still worth telling and it's worth listening to. And I, I find that really hopeful. Um, yeah. And I know that's <laughs> kind of contradictory, but um, it's, it's just, it's very empowering to read and write. And um, it's, it's just something that I have never been able to get out of my head. <laughs> that's very interesting. I've, I've never, I am not a horror person at all. I read sure. exactly one Goosebump book when I was a kid and I wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to read it uh <laughs> and it, I all I have remembered it ever since because I was so terrified like I'm pretty sure I like it was supposed to go back to the library and I might have burned it or buried it in the yard or something <laughs> it was like possessed. yeah it, 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 was, sure. it, it had something to do with like a sentient ooze that was like swallowing people and then you could like see them slowly dissolving into its like Ooh, that's scary. body. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. I was probably like eight or something. And I was like, sure. nope, never again. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> that's totally fair. That's totally fair. You know, different people take different things out of it. Yeah, no, and that's why it's, <laughs> I, I, it's really great to hear that perspective on it because that is not something that I yeah. ever considered before about you know it being. Sure. And of course, it makes sense that all writing 
I mean, I feel like really good writing, it does kind of go back to the characters and how you feel about them and how, what kind of journey you go on as you are experiencing this character go on that journey. And so it doesn't have to have a happy ending because that's like you said, that doesn't mean that the story doesn't have meaning. So, you know, given that I don't have a ton of experience with horror writing, um, but I have seen, I do know a little bit about horror films. I have seen a few of those. And what's kind of, you, you know, I feel like fantasy movies and fantasy books kind of have a lot of the same tropes. Romance movies and romance books kind of have a lot of, you know, there's differences, but there's a lot of similarities. But when I think yeah. of horror movies, I think of jump scares. I think of gore. I think of mm-hmm. obviously like dark themes, but just things that are a lot more difficult, I feel like, to present. I mean, how do you do a jump scare in a book? I'm sure you can, yeah. but I, I don't really know. So can you maybe kind of talk about the differences and similarities between the movies and the and the literature yeah yeah that's a really really good question and that's that's something that my clients bring to me often Mm. uh actually is is when I get horror clients um they well not always but for the most most of the time they'll they'll come and they'll say how do I make this scarier Mm. um which I love that question (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's great um oh yeah it's a lot of fun I love I love working on them I mean I love all of my clients but I I really love working on a horror uh, manuscript, but um, I honestly, in the same way that a jump scare um, and that, that a lot of people would find a jump scare, maybe kind of cheap in a horror movie. Um, there are, there, I would say there are jump scares in a horror novel and um, that's not the, um, the epitome of, of scariness. Um, mm. They can, they can do a lot better when I notice, um, you know, my writers doing like a, and then the monster jumped out, you know, um, <laughs> I, which I mean, it's, it's fair. I, I do that myself. I think everybody, everybody who writes horror kind of leans into some of those um, maybe stereotypes sometimes sure. um, in an attempt, you know, we want to be scary. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, so there's this really popular Stephen King quote um, that now this is a controversial opinion. I'm not a huge Stephen King fan, um, but this quote <laughs> is really good. Um, and he essentially lists that there are three kinds of scares um there's a gross out scare which is like you said like the gore Mm -hmm. um and all these are important kind of scares but it's important that you use them all to your the best ability um then he lists um something he calls the horror which would be like um his his exact words are the unnatural spiders the size of bears the dead waking up and walking around um but then the kind of fear that we really want to strike in a horror novel is what Stephen King calls terror um and he says it's when you come home and notice everything you own has been taken away and replaced by an exact substitute it's when the lights go out and you feel something behind you but when you turn around there's nothing there and that's the real fear that we're looking for Mm. is um something maybe a little subtler um I when we're writing a horror novel um we in the same way that any book like you know like we've been saying is expressing um is expressing something and communicating to a reader um a horror novel expresses your fear and you know maybe even your grief like take hereditary like her child has died that's horrific that's scary you know mm-hmm. is your family falling apart um and when we can use these smaller scares um to 
amplify the real fear that we're writing about um that's that's when we've really hit the mark there's a lot of similarities between horror novels and 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 horror movies um and in the end we want to express what is scaring us and what is causing us to have these um these like dark Mm -hmm. feelings um and we use the smaller scares to build up to what we're really talking about and and what we're really talking about that gets kind of what you were talking about how it's it's a cathartic thing to read horror and to write horror can you share a little bit more about that yeah well I so would you, would you tell me which horror movies have you not to derail but which which <laughs> horror movies have you seen and I'll I'll kind of I'll use those as examples. Okay, okay. Um, let me think about this. I have seen I've seen like The Shining. Um, Ooh, a favorite of mine. Yeah, that's I and I actually do like that movie. I do I I suspenseful stuff is much better for me than than others. Um, I've seen quite a few zombie movies. I feel like oh fun. Um, like I watched, I watched like the Walking Dead TV show. Oh, one horror movie that I simultaneously liked and never want to see again was Midsummer. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, mo- Ooh. that movie. That movie. That movie kind of messed me up a little bit. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's popular for a reason. It messed me up a little too. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. So that's probably the spectrum of what I've what I've seen. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a very good example. Um, in fact, is to use Midsummer because that's a a very popular movie and it was executed very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what we're really talking about in in Midsummer is um, not just grief, but also um, the fear of not being understood. Um, Danny goes through the movie with her boyfriend Christian. Um, and he doesn't listen to her he is dismissive of her emotions um and in the end i you know these aren't new ideas i'm afraid i i'm not very original with this one but uh, you know people have talked about this movie a lot and i've read a lot of um like analyses about it but in the end um danny issues this misunderstanding in place of um the cult who claims to understand her and and whether or not the cult does or does not mm-hmm. you know is or is not a good choice is not what i'm you know arguing here but more that um she oh there's a lot i could say about this whole concept in fact in general she um actually in this movie kind of transcends her fear um she sort of becomes the thing to be afraid of um and in that is no longer has that fear that she had at the beginning that's her way of escaping the monster is by becoming the monster um and that's that's referred to as transcendental horror and that's something that i have a really (laughs) i really have a passion for um but anyway like the smaller scares um the you know the the um the fact there's a lot to be said about the fact that is um danny's entering like a new culture um and it's one that she doesn't understand maybe they she's you know afraid they don't understand her these smaller discomforts build up to the the real fear um Mm -hmm. of of misunderstanding of do you feel held by him no she does not she wants (laughs) to feel held she wants to feel your skin 
Um, same as, you know, in The Shining, um, their isolation builds into um, this fear of losing control, uh, the fear of, of um, there's a maybe a real desire inside of you that's evil. Um, mm. And being on your own will bring out that evilness. Yeah. Because there's nothing else to subdue it anymore. Um, and, you know, so all, all these different things, um, you know, th these are very deliberate choices on the part of, of these directors and writers um, to make themselves understood and to um, give power to this the, the real point that they're trying to make. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like I ramble a lot. No, I, I, I think what you're saying is great. And it, it so this is kind of a follow-up and a, just to make sure that I fully understand what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like one of the big appeals of horror is that it allows us through like what you were saying, you know, it, with Midsummer, you've got, you've got these kind of small discomforts that lead to these bigger, more horrific discomforts or questions or the real the real feel or the heart of the fear or whatever and do you mm -hmm. feel like horror allows us to kind of explore those questions that we're kind of not we don't allow ourselves to in ordinary you know at, at top of mind kind of thing we don't we don't want to think about like oh if something really terrible happened to me i could become a very terrible person or you know is yeah, there yeah, yeah. Is, is there some kind of secret evil inside of me that just needs the right opportunity to come out because I do think that's the you know, people wonder about those kinds of things but they but they mm -hmm. never really give themselves the psychological space to actually explore what that means because we're afraid to do that um yeah and, and so horror kind of gives us this opportunity to do that but do it in this separate you know um step back way because oh it's not actually us it's this character that we're just we're asking those questions through essentially yeah yeah i would say very much i would say very much so um i i, I think that's a very large appeal um is is to be able to explore um real world real world fears that um you know we we wouldn't be able to explore these um quote unquote safely in mm -hmm. uh in other situations I think it's very powerful to be able to face those things. Um, it's very powerful. Absolutely. So do you have any, um, for people who want to become horror writers or who are just interested in the horror genre or maybe editors that are interested in maybe working on horror projects, do you have any like mm -hmm. seminal books of the genre that you would recommend or Ooh. any craft books, anything like that? Yeah, that is a really good question. Um, I, <laughs> I I might be a little bit biased. I have some of my favorites. Um, <laughs> It, it, I will say it very much depends. Horror is so broad. Um, yeah. and, um, maybe that's just because I'm like, so obsessed. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> deeply intrigued. Yeah. Um, but there's like, there are a lot of, I don't know. It's hard to pick one. A lot. The thing is a lot of people would say Stephen King. And mm -hmm. if you like Stephen King, I love that for you. Um, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, absolutely i i just have my own personal beef it's really it's just a personal thing um but yeah, i mean yeah he's a, he's definitely a staple um 
I am notoriously like an embarrassingly huge fan of Anne Rice. Um, yes. I, okay. All I right. Like Anne Rice. Oh, oh yes. So oh yes. I, <laughs> Interview with the vampire shook me. Let, let me be, let me be clear. I am not into horror trashy gothic vampire stuff 1000 oh, yeah. percent. i am there yeah <laughs> you know what i am too no, i completely understand that <laughs> um yeah i i'm in love with interview with the vampire to the point where it's just embarrassing um, <laughs> so i mean i would say that especially interview with the vampire the book i i bring the things that i took from that book to my own writing and, and to my editing as well. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. What are some other classics? <laughs> oh, you know what? I grew up, I also grew up reading Edgar Allan Poe. These are these are gonna be very basic. Oh, sure. But <laughs> um, that's that's what yeah. that's what we're talking about, right? It's like these are kind of the foundations yeah. that people have built on over the years. That's a good point. Yeah, no, that's well, in that case, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe's perfect. And um yeah, he's just some really, really good stuff. A lot of people like um Lovecraft mm. um if if you're into say cosmic horror um yeah. obviously you know he's gonna be the perfect place to start um oh, there's a lot okay this is maybe cheesy I'm also really into um well especially if, if you enjoy paranormal um horror because that's something that I really focus on as well um I read a lot of local ghost story books actually um, oh. And this this maybe isn't as foundational as Edgar Allan Poe, but I think a lot of horror authors would benefit from reading more um, like local real life paranormal horror, um, regardless of whether or not the things in these books are true. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because a lot of them talk about they talk about hauntings, they talk about exorcisms. Um, they're extremely fascinating, and they're the basis of especially where paranormal you know horror is, is concerned um these books have the basis for what we're like the the real life folklore that we're working off of um yeah and that's fascinating to me so i've been collecting these books for a really really long time i'm from illinois actually and um in illinois there's this um this like paranormal nonfiction author named troy taylor um, and I've collected almost all of his books. Um, he's really fantastic. And then um, there's a series called Haunted America, and they <laughs> they they'll you know they'll sell these. I have the Route 66 one because it's in Illinois. Um, I have um, the History of San Antonio because I'm living in San Antonio right now. Um, and I I find these really really fascinating. I find them really good. Um, what's the word? Like research material. Um, yeah. That's so, that's so interesting. I never would have even considered that, but there is such a, I mean, anywhere you go in America, you're going to find some kind of ghost history. Everybody's always advertising their haunted house tours or whatever. Like we, we love <laughs> yeah. that kind of shit. We love that shit here. And, I, and, and it makes perfect sense that that would be an incredible source to go to, especially if you're looking to write horror as an inspiration of like, what do people, what kind of stories do people you know, pass on? What do they tell about this region? What kind of horrible things like happen? Because real yeah. life is itself very scary and people's interpretation mm -hmm. of hauntings or whatever is a way that they're processing real life in some ways, you know? That's so, that's, yeah. that's so cool. 
Mm -hmm. I, I find them, uh, excuse me, I find them really, really fascinating. I find them really good research. Um, and yeah, if you're, if you're interested in, in, in horror or editing horror, um, I think those are a, a really good thing to begin reading. And that's our show. If you find your spine needs a bit more tingling, get it? Because like books have spines. You get it. Um, you can contact Logan at austinfictionediting.com. If you'd like to share your thoughts, just drop us an email at edbuddiespod at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at midrightworlds or through my website at midright.com. That's M-I-D-W-R-I-T-E. See you next time. You can 